Becoming an Anti-Racist, the podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Mina Abdi, and in this episode, we are discussing how schools have failed black girls. This is part two of our online discussions that were held earlier in the year. Part one, how schools have failed black boys, is episode two of the podcast. In this episode, we have a number of young black women sharing their experiences of racism and anti-blackness within the school space. Please listen respectfully and reflect on the stories that are being shared. We have some incredible young women with us today that are going to share their stories. Zara, do you want to start us off? Hello, my name is Zara and I grew up in Sheffield, but I'm currently living down south in London. Okay, so we're here today to talk about whether we think the education system or schools have failed black girls. And as a black girl who grew up in the north, I can say firmly, yes. To be able to rationalize a lot of, a lot of the uh, trauma that I went through at secondary school, I had to figure out why I went through so much racial abuse. And I realized the answer was because of ignorance. When I was at school, I would get all sorts of things said to me, like there was a rumor that I came to England on a donkey. That one was beyond me. But yeah, there was a rumor that I came to England on a donkey. They used to call me fish lips, you know, things like that. Uh, one time when I was 16 years old, I had my Afro out. And they, at history, in history class, they started getting pieces of tissue, putting little spit balls on it and just throwing it into my hair to see if they could catch it, essentially. Like, I walked into the dining room at lunchtime. People were laughing at me because of my hair. I, they said I looked like an African bush girl. It was horrific. I think that day was the first day I had my first ever mental breakdown. I fully lost it because there was this little boy that was trying me as well. He was making all these jokes, saying all these racial slurs to impress his friends. And everyone was just stood around laughing. Nobody came to my aid as well. And I just had my first breakdown in front of everybody. I just started crying and nobody stopped to do anything. And anytime things like this would happen and I'd go to the school, we'd have things, you know, the, the teachers would say like, oh, you know, that's not very nice. Or that's mean, isn't it? The way they'd make it seem, they made it seem like it was just everyday bullying, everyday being picked on, even though this was literally all because I was black. Do you understand what I mean? I used to have, one time someone threw a banana peel at me when I was walking to school or people would make monkey noises at me. Do you know what I mean? I used to, you know, chill in the library for most of the time when I was at secondary school. I ate lunch at the library because I was so ostracized by basically everybody else. And every time I tried to reach out to school, they did basically nothing about it. One kid, they were like, oh, he has ADHD, you know, just leave him. Or this other kid, they're like, oh no, he wasn't being racist. He was just being mean. He's known for that, et cetera, et cetera. They would always make excuses for why things like this happen. And this went up until the age of 16. So I remember after I, that whole Afro incident happened, I started relaxing my hair to try and make it nice and long so I wouldn't be made fun of. And I kept relaxing it and putting heat on it and relaxing it and putting heat on it and it fell out. My hair literally fell out because of all the abuse I was putting on my hair because of the abuse I was getting from school. And I think that's when I realized that it had gone too far. I think that's when I realized this whole thing had gone too far. I started teaching myself about what it meant to be black. And that's when I realized that all these kids, you know, as hateful and horrible and vile as they were, they weren't born like that. This is the things that they'd learned from home and school hadn't corrected these miseducation that they'd got from home. 
school had just allowed it to breed. So for example, all these kids telling me that I should go back to my own country or, you know, I should go back to my poor wasteland that's Africa. If they'd known that there would be no British Empire, there would be no Great Britain without Africa and Asia. None of this, what we have today, would even exist without Africa and Asia. If they were taught this, they would think twice before telling me to go back to my country. Do you understand what I mean? So that's when I realized that knowledge is everything. And if we arm ourselves with knowledge and arm ourselves with good education and arm these kids as well with good education, we can start to minimize this ignorance and minimize the pain that, you know, that we go through as black girls at school made to feel ugly, made to feel subpar, especially compared to white girls all the time being compared, being made to feel like we weren't even women, being made to feel like we weren't desirable or beautiful. Like that, that can't run and that can't continue to run i'm scared of having kids i'm absolutely petrified of having a black daughter and her going to school and having to go through that because that pain that i went through i wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy even though i'm 20 years old now and i've grown and things have happened after that i still have panicked moments where i think i'm at school i have nightmares i wake up shaking thinking i'm back at school that's how horrific it is. I have moments of self-doubt, all because of the way I was treated at school and nobody took me seriously. It was just bullying. So I think, of course, it has to start with the schools. The schools have to first recognize they have a problem. When they recognize there's a problem, then we can start fixing it, but they're not ready to recognize it yet. So yeah, that's my outlook and that's my two pence on the, on the matter. Thank you so much, Zara. I'm gonna go to Rayanna next. Hi. Um... So what happened to me one day in school was I was in a lesson and these little like white boys in my class were implying that I couldn't afford stuff because I'm mixed race. They were saying that I wasn't half white, like because I'm half black, there's something wrong with that. Like implying that my mum was like, I don't know, but they were like implying stuff that I couldn't afford this and that because I was half black. And they were saying that I've come from this kind of area just because I'm black. And I feel like the teachers didn't care. And like, they just brushed it off. And um, I feel like if the teachers aren't even educated, how would the kids be educated? Thank you. Lorena, do you want to go next? I'm Lorena Thompson-Kerr. I just turned 12. I live in London. And in the next eight minutes, I will share with you two recent experiences. On the 1st of October, at the start of Black History Month, I was given this silhouette to use in an art project on identity. The teacher's comment was, well, most of you look like this. In a class of 23, there were just two other black girls, so the statement was factually correct, but it was wrong. I was offended. My mother, in response, attempted to school the school on how offensive this whitewashing was and about the history of racist stereotypes in art. She told them that ethnically appropriate silhouettes should be used. The school's response was, we pride ourselves on being a diverse and inclusive school. There was zero acknowledgement of their wrongdoing and no apology for the, offense, for the offense they had caused. The second incident took place a few weeks ago on the 3rd of June. By now, I'd been withdrawn from my highly selective girls' school and had just two days before started at an online school where my identity was unknown because I did not use my camera or microphone in lessons and instead just type into the text box. That particular session was to discuss Black Lives Matter and Pride, but it began with a geography teacher referencing Stephen Lawrence as a gang member, stating that black people live in Grenfell Tower type blocks in black ghettos. 
He went on to say that white people live in nice areas on the outskirts of London, that white people don't mix with black people, that you're more likely to join a gang if you're black, and that black kids are poorly educated. Typing away into the chat box, I was enraged, but determined not to let this go. I challenged him on all of his misconceptions, and I did not stop until he retracted the comments about Stephen Lawrence. From what I could tell, as some has the, had their cameras on, the children were almost exclusively white. One child from her name was likely Asian. And though there were some really positive comments that showed an anti-racist stance from some of the children, many began to speculate whether, based on the teacher's statements, whether Stephen's death was a gang initiation gone wrong. I could feel my heart beating. I was devastated. What these two incidents share in common is the issue of visibility, or rather invisibility. At my girls' school, my black girl presence was of no consequence. It did not matter to my art teacher. My black girl identity was irrelevant and not enough to be visible to her. To her, I was an aberration, an interloper, out of place in that mostly white, very middle-class environment. And at my new online school, my actual invisibility empowered the racist to spout his vile beliefs. I do wonder how different the lesson would have been if he had known I was black. Maybe not. Over the past nine months, micro and macroaggressions, dismissive attitudes and attacks have challenged my black female presence. But they make me more determined to play a part in dismantling the structural racism that prevents black children from excelling at school. One of the ways I do this is to always challenge and to ensure that there is a record of this. My mother is in the meeting, so I'll say this carefully. She's unrelenting, savvy and fearless. She will chew her races for breakfast and still want her two slices of toast with marmalade. With her backing, I'm able to challenge. On a personal level, though I'm naturally socially awkward, I push to make myself visible, positively and on my own terms. And so I strive to excel, I strive to win, I strive to be the best. When they see me, they must see me as the arena, black girl magic, winner. But I recognise that not everyone has a tiger for a mum and a dad whose consistent, quiet presence backs their mother 100%. And I recognise that so many are not in environments that give them the opportunity to shine. So what we need is an equalities officer in every school. We need a national support system for children and parents. We need a centralised place for registering concerns. And Ofsted needs to measure schools more thoroughly on equalities. The grandstanding and virtual signalling must be channeled by revealing the real truths. The racism, which is endemic in schools, must first be exposed before it can be dismantled. And I think the starting point should be that the school is racist until they prove themselves otherwise. Further, and most importantly, we must equip black girls and black boys with the tools that move them from victimology to resistance onto empowerment. And in case you're wondering, this is a silhouette that I used. And at the online school, after a series of meetings where they were schooled or on the teacher's ignorance, inaccuracies and stereotypes, the racism was eventually acknowledged by the owner. And my mum and I have been invited to become members of a working group on racial equality. And trust me, we will not be invisible. Thank you. Lorena, thank you so much. Tyra? All right, hi everyone, my name's Tyra. I was born and raised in South London. And I want to start by saying I was one of the, I'm not going to say this in a bad way, but I was one of the lucky people whose parent worked very, very hard and I got the opportunity to go to a private school in my early years. So obviously with private schools, they were predominantly white and I was around a lot of Caucasian people, not to say anything bad. And after primary years, I'd left there 
and I went to, you know, a regular state school. And obviously, it's not to say it was foreign, but obviously I was, I came across very well spoken and it was sort of weird to a lot of people. And I got called a lot of names for that, like coconut or Oreo to say I'm brown on the outside, but obviously different on the inside. And obviously that was hurtful for me. It caused a lot of tears, but I did get over it. Obviously being in a different environment, I sort of felt the need to change myself to fit in. So I was getting into different types of situations and nothing that the schools that I went to were able to fully support. So one time I left one secondary school and I went to another one. And this was also predominantly white, but it was obviously just a public school. And I lasted three days. Not, nothing that I purposely did, but I joined the school first off. I had really, you know, thick eyebrows and I wore a biker jacket but obviously that was my style. And there was one teacher in particular in the school, she was very powerful. And I think it must have been my second day and I was sitting in the classroom, I was sitting at the back. I was new to the school, I didn't know anyone. I asked the teacher if I could stay at the back because I felt some sorts of anxieties and I didn't really want to sit at the front because I didn't know anyone. He didn't, didn't even say anything to me directly. He just called another teacher for support. I walked past the teacher and she jumped back and said, did you guys see that? Everyone was confused, but she tried to make it seem like I had pushed her or I was aggressive and she wrote in so many reports, I was aggressive, I instigated some sort of situation and that school ended for me, I didn't go back. And obviously that was a prime example where I felt like it was unprovoked and I felt like just because of my colour, she felt some sort of anger towards me. Let me fast forward a little bit because obviously we're short of time to this Black Lives Matter thing. I remember I was sitting in a history lesson and obviously it was getting... Um, obviously a little bit boring but it wasn't until recently with these Black Lives Matter movements that I sat down with family had a lot of time to reflect and I understand I remember Zara mentioned at the start that a lot of history is rid from us like our power is really hidden people like Malcolm X I never knew who Malcolm X was until recently and it's crazy so um, I just find I 100% agree with what she was saying about the fact that in terms of changes to school systems, changes in the black community, I feel like they genuinely do need to start from schools because that's where the next generation learn their things from. And that's pretty much all I have to say about it. Thank um, you so much. Taya? Hi everyone, my name is um, I'm 17 years old, currently in college. Really, I never had like an outright racism experience in school. I really had the underlying oppressive kind of racism I was labeled the whole way through my school experience I was labeled as the angry black girl that no one could ever talk to etc etc and the reason like a lot of the time the reason why they would call me the angry black girl is because I don't like disrespect I don't like injustice I don't like any of that so when I see it I call it out and in some cases in school they do not like to hear it and that is why they kind of pushed me apart and they, they literally tried to kick me out of their school. And that's why I can't really say, okay, like I've had, okay, like here's a race, like how everybody else has their experience and, and their examples. But I can say like, I know, for example, like one day they had inspectors in the school and because already I was labelled, I was put in a room for the whole day, couldn't come out. There was like a bunch of us in that room. We couldn't come out because they thought like basically we was going to make problems in the school and something was going to go wrong. And I feel like with a lot of these um, schools, 
the only thing that they care about is their image and they'll paint this picture we're here for um all cultures all races can i tell you my my school didn't even want to celebrate black history month we literally had to force them into having an event for black history month and when we asked them to have the event for black history month they literally shut it down to where only 20 people could be in the room it's worse because my school that i went to was literally it was a swarm of black people basically there was there was hardly any white people in there so you'd think that they would try to accommodate the majority but that wasn't the case and in a lot of the cases it was literally they were trying to throw out a lot of the black people and you could tell but for me personally i really agree with what um lorena was saying just about having people in the school that are for both that are just in the middle as a voice for the black people to where they're not being oppressed by the people that are above everybody else and yeah that's all i really have to say thank you so much soha do you want to go next hi uh, my name's soha i'm half Sydney's half european and i just finished university like last week so um, one of the questions that was asked actually was like, with all this adversity, how did we all, I guess, get success in education? Um, the only way I was able to do it was literally to just make my own little, I guess, environment for me. I had to, I couldn't rely on other people at all because I'd come from, I was born in Holland. So I'd already gotten Zweiter Pete, which is like a race to celebration Christmas where they go into your schools as well. And then I was picked to be the thief because the little Santa's helper was black, was a black slave. And then they made him into like a black little like helper and everything. So already from education, I already thought like anti-blackness was normal. I already thought like, you know, like Holland is very, very white. So I really thought when I came to England and I slowly started seeing aggressions against me, like being labeled trouble, being labeled angry, you know, controlling this and that and that, even when I was not being controlling or angry, it gaslighted me into thinking that was the narrative and that was what I was when it wasn't. So then when it came to like my secondary school, I came to my secondary school and like primary school time, it's worse when it's in, um, I guess, English, like English class, I guess it's worse because like when you're looking at language and how language is used, I never saw any positive language towards how you describe me. Like my eyes were, people would literally say my eyes were the color feces. They describe my skin as the color of mud. Everything that was bad, like that I'm an artist as well. I, that's why I graduated from fine art. And I had to retake the color of black being a color. It's not just black, it's not just a shadow, it's not bad, you know? I had to go out of my way within college because I did sociology as well to literally be researching black sociologists. I had to go out of my way to explain to some of my sociologist teachers why some of the work, some of the things that we're looking at, case studies or, you know, data, I need to know the years, I need to know what city, I need to know demographic, I need to know this. You can't label black people when we're in England, especially with like Africans, with Jamaicans, with every other type of like black identity and black diaspora because we're all different. And there's going to be different reasons why, say, if we're looking at sociology and education. What, and then when you're looking at that type of data and you're telling a whole class of mostly white kids, X, Y, and Z, 80% of black kids are going to get kicked out, da, 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 da. you push into their heads that there's st racial stereotypes, it's okay to say out loud, you know, and then it, it just perpetuates a lot of things. So I guess in education, I constantly have to go teaching the teachers, you know, like uniform as well. I just feel like I was over-sexualized. My body was so over-sexualized. The harassment that I had with, so I guess, a negative aspect of it for both sides, you know, the white girls and the black girls was that the black girls were over-sexualized. So like my body, my my bum and just like everything else, it was just like exotic. It was like, oh, I want to grab, I want to touch. So I was literally always having my bum slapped. I was literally always having people gr like grind past me and all this. And I was in secondary school. I was just like every other kid out there. And like, I didn't feel good enough to speak up because I was literally seeing everywhere around me. If I spoke up, I was the problem. And I was already labeled argumentative and this and that and that. 
but then the white girls, it would only be because people would be like, oh, white girls have no body, da, 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 da. it's all black girls. But it wasn't positive attention. I didn't want an attention. And I guess the white girls internalized that and did misogynoir, where they did sexism against me as well, where they all hypersexualized me. And it made me feel like I was an object where I couldn't tell them not to touch my hair. I was in, I was in a canteen and I was just there with my friends, just trying to get some food. And two boys behind me thought it was funny to just grab into my puff and just grab my hair. And I turned around and looked at a teacher and I was, I was ready to hit them. Cause I was like, these teachers have been doing nothing all year. All these years I've been in the school, teachers have been nothing. And you, you can only get so far until literally you feel so much anger towards the fact that you are touching my person. And I don't feel safe as a female, as a black person, and just as a minority within any type of like school system. So I guess within education, it was just literally me having to push myself to be there. Like I couldn't rely on anything around me. I literally had to always double check texts that included black people because I just didn't trust the sources at all. So the only real thing that I had to lean back on was literally having to find my black identity and my Ethiopian Sudanese heritage. But even then, like I would always be made the mouthpiece, you know, within history. The only history I learned was literally about the American slave trade. Britain loved to cut itself out of that. They didn't talk about what Britain did. They only talked about Britain trading silver and this and that. But it literally made the white people in my class feel like they, oh, we're better than Americans. We're better than the Germans. But it was like, no, you man are not better because you're literally calling me a Zulu African Buddhist scratcher. You're literally in IT getting everybody on their very odd desktops. All of you man have naked African tribe people on the, and you're saying that I'm that. And you're turning around in history class when you come slavery and staring at me. Whenever we did How to Kill a Mockingbird, the N-word came up, you stare at me. Like it was all these little microaggressions and no one taught people not to do. And teachers, what vexed me about teachers is like, you're making me stand out worse. Why? Like, why is my existence making you, man, be unprofessional? Why is my hair distracting you? Why can't you learn to just accept different hairstyles and different this? Like, why is it that, like, girls could literally have a beehive, like a bun atop of their head? That's not distracting, but my throat is distracting. My braids are distracting. It would just, it would literally be the policing of me. And it was like, can I not be a child? Could I not be 12-year-old going for puberty? Can I not be 13 going for puberty? Why do you have to sexualize me as if I'm on some porn site? And it just didn't make sense. So I guess everything was just very skewed against me. It just made me feel, you know, for a very long time, made me doubt my own femininity. And I had to take that back. So I had to go for education. On top of that, my parents didn't go for, you know, European Western Europe education. My dad went for education to a point. My mum didn't go through to like secondary school, all this. And then on top of that, the immigrants in this country, they had to learn English. I couldn't get them to help me with my UCAS. Couldn't get them to help me with my homework. Couldn't get them to help me with anything. And then I can't tell them that I'm getting sexually harassed at school. I can't tell them that the teachers don't believe me. And on top of that, I have mental health issues. I've got anxiety problems and I've got panic attack and I've got depressed, but oh no, I'm lying. I'm lying because I just want medication. I just want to be a drug addict. Obviously, I just go to the nurse's office because I blanked out from having a panic attack because I just don't want to be doing PE. It was all these little subliminal things. And then once I got higher up into sociology and I read about like teacher bias and like how people just naturally think black people just love to be into drugs that fueled me more to be in education. So I, I literally kept championing the black voices and narratives within all levels of education I could get to. And I kept talking to, I guess, higher ups, but it was always a silence that they were complicit in the little acts that they didn't want to call it out because they felt bad. And it was just this always, I guess, feeling of having to justify that I'm a human being. You know, if you're having to explain to someone why something's not right and why if it was done to them, they wouldn't like it. You're already on a different ground because you already have to teach them that I'm a human being just like you're a human being. You wouldn't have to explain to them if they already saw you as a human being. And I think black girls as well in education, it's just so hard. Like the dress codes are against us. You know, the simplest thing, even like if you raise your voice the tiniest bit, it's tone policing. 
if you call out, you know, someone staring, male teacher staring at you, oh no, he was just, you know, this and that. I feel like there's so much, even language, you speak properly. I, I switch a lot with my accents. I switch. I can sound like I'm from South. I can sound like I'm from North. It's whatever it is. Cause I got bullied for having, a, like I got bullied for having an, um, a Dutch accent. And now I got bullied when I tried to do Northern accent. And now I guess like whenever I talk to people, especially of authority, I do not talk like I'm from the streets. I don't talk like this. I just switch into something that's more tame, I guess, for their ears. Because I don't be ridiculed. I've been ridiculed a lot. I have the information, I have the statistics. I have the back of the research. But they don't want to listen to me if I talk like I'm from the streets because I'm a ruffian. I'm riffraff. I guess a lot of the times, that's why some of my friends don't want to go into higher education. Because they don't want to constantly feel like I'm just in a pond full of people that are staring at me and trying to stare me out and get me into trouble. I don't know, education's been a challenge for me, but it's something that I wouldn't have, would never regret going into because I have a privilege being in this Western country. I need to take what I can, when I can. But it would have been nice if I would just been treated like a child when I could have and not been hypersexualized and just been put on a, a list of naughty kids and then been token black kid on pictures or the Rabina. I feel like a lot of us might have had this where Ofsted comes in and they have to make sure there's one black kid in each class because they have to make sure when Ofsted comes in, they can see that it's, it's diverse. And then they perp teachers purposely talk about, you know, oh yes, like Soha. Soha's, um, she's, you're Muslim, aren't you? Because I was Muslim back then. I converted to Christianity, but I would always use, first of all, being a black woman and on top of that being a token Muslim in the class. So every question would be directed towards me. And it just, I don't think anybody wants their existence within education to literally be about what you can see. I want it to be about my brain, my intelligence, how you can help me further it. So yeah, that was just my experience. Thank you so much, Soha. Shia, do you want to go next? So hi guys, um, my name's Shay and um, I'm 17 years old and I live in South London. Um, I went to state school for most of my life, for like um, all that I can remember. And the racism I experienced was more racism disguised as compliments. Cause like in the UK, it's not really outright, outright racism like it is in the US. It's more these little comments here and there. You don't really realise the racism until, like, say you're going home and, like, you're really thinking about it. So, for example, I'd get a lot, you sound white, because I do code switch as well. And I used to get that quite a lot because I speak quite eloquently. And at first, you kind of think, oh, okay, that's kind of a compliment, but it really, really isn't. That's really damaging to um, people's, like, mental state because it makes you think that, oh, to be eloquent is to be white, and to, to be white is to be good, basically. And that's only good, basically. Um, I also got a lot of, you're not from South London, because I spoke this way, or because of the way I acted. I got a lot of, um, you're quite scary, or like you're a scary person, I don't really like talking to you. I didn't think you would be a nice person. Me, I'm actually a lovely person. I talk to anybody, but I got that quite a lot. And it kind of just makes you really sad. Like, you didn't do anything to provoke that. You're just being the way you know how to be. And people see you as a threat immediately before they even get to see um, who you are as a real person. So I got that one a lot. I also got a lot of, um, as Soha said, like tokenism. So in 2018, I was I won the young deputy mayor of my borough, and therefore my school used me a lot in like yeah Ofsted meetings or meetings with like higher up people. If the school was having an interview, I would always be there, and the comments I would get a lot was. Um, would be like good for you and in the sense that oh you're a black girl well done for making it da, 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 da. which at first didn't really sound like a bad thing like yeah good for me because I um, got that got into that position but in the same sense it's like oh yeah you can't do it 
and you did it so well done basically which it mm, I didn't like that a, a lot hair was a really really big thing in state school the school I went to was actually mostly black so it was quite controversial but I would get a lot that um I'm not like other black girls like me I don't um I never wore weave or wigs which is not a bad thing at all but I, I from the teachers I'd get oh look you're not like them Da-da-da. like it's a compliment when it actually doesn't matter I got that quite a lot and that really upset me because most of this was like year seven year eight and like looking back I get annoyed at myself for not speaking up back then but again at the same time I can't blame myself because I didn't know that much then and I know a lot more now which is why I tend to speak up about it more now and I remember one time I had a Marley twist and I was like super super excited I thought it looked so lovely and um, I remember I walked into school and my head teacher looked at me and then he said those look interesting and like it just made me really really sad it deflated my mood I wanted to take them out the next day I was crying to my mom saying I don't like them anymore it was a really sad experience but I'm glad that now I know who I am and I walk into their money twists and like I'll own them 100% so it's been a weird experience and there's definitely a lot to improve I think representation is one of the key things that we need to change because if we saw more people black women in positions like that then it wouldn't be so shocking that a person like me is in a position like that so I think that's the main main um, thing that we need to improve in terms of representation and lastly I've noticed that schools aren't really willing to accept the fact that they are in a position to change because I remember in year 10 my school didn't um, really celebrate Black History Month so um, myself and my friends we created these posters about Black History Month talking about like Black inputs in music in um, economics etc and the headline was teaching you what school doesn't and the school was really 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 angry about that and we actually had to change it to um, teaching you what the curriculum doesn't instead of what the school doesn't because they didn't really want to seem like the culprits and like that was a really really huge thing so that just made me realize that schools really don't want to like own up and like take ownership of basically so yeah that was my experience brilliant thank you so much i'm gonna ask tyra to come back on because she wanted to say something else and then i'm gonna go to ebonita i just wanted to sort of add to the point of like indirect racism in schools because obviously I remember Tia mentioned about how she went around schools and she was labelled as the angry black girl because I can really resonate with that. I was always one person that if I'm passionate about something, it may, to understanding people, it would come across as passion, but to obviously other people, especially in schools, they would see it as aggressive. And I just felt like, obviously, it did have a big impact on how I approached schools and the opportunities that I was allowed to take. And it wasn't until I moved schools and I, came, I had to come with a whole completely different approach to even be able to be considered to go forward for certain things. On top of that, I feel like, yeah, schools, I just feel like schools really don't do enough to really sort of implement that, you know, the strengths that black people in the school system do need, if you know what I mean. Because I know, like, obviously I've been in positions where, you know, like, for example a prefect position. I've been in a position where like we're applying for prefect, prefect positions and all the teachers are excited to nominate this person and then there's five you know black kids in the back shooting their hands up but they're sort of side-eyed and that also brings me on to what um, Soha said about Ofsted coming in and there's always one black kid in, this, in the classroom. Like I said before I went to a private school in my early years 
So obviously I was well-spoken, I was smart. Um, I can't remember what you called it, I'm not sure what it's called, but where you can articulate yourself for certain audiences. I was one of those people that did that. And I was always labeled as a person that's, oh, you're really smart for a black girl. And that to me is offensive. Like hearing that constantly around me is offensive. And obviously I've been through, you know, the different experiences, the adversity. So it would make sense, but hearing for a black girl, and I know I'm not the only person that goes through it. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be normalized to me. I just don't think it should be normalized. I just feel like, yeah, we need to be more educated. That's my last bit. Thank you so much. Such incredible stories that all of you have shared. I'm going to bring in um, Ebenita, but before I do, I'll just say all of the stories have completely resonated and have been hugely powerful. And Ebenita, as she shares her story, will also be sharing how she used that to fuel her development of an organization called Milk and Honeybees that is a girl-led organization. And she'll tell us a little bit more about that as well. So Ebenita, I'll unmute you now. Thank you, Muna. First of all, I want to commend and send love and love hearts to every single girl that spoke. I'm going to try not to cry, but I resonate with your stories so deeply. Lorena, you are so young, so eloquent, so beautiful. Continue to use your voice and continue to share power with all of us who could not use our voice when we was in school at your age. So I'm Ebonita. Like most of these girls, I was labeled bad, angry, aggressive. And, you know, going through the education system for me was very difficult because not only was I always tall, I was always the bigger girl. So I felt sexualization in terms of my height and as well as my body shape. And then the adultification came when I moved out of my parents' house at 15. So I moved out at 15 and I'm 27 now. So if you do the maths, that's a long time that I've been living alone. And when I was 15, I got put in an 18 plus hostel because I looked bigger and I spoke bigger than I was. And like I said, I was very adultified. And the question about how did we succeed through education? Well, education wasn't always a successful place for me. At the time that I was in education and I had just moved out, I also lost a lot of friends to violence in the community, which is something that the education system doesn't take into consideration. It doesn't take into consideration how black girls navigate and show up for the world and no one shows up for them. It doesn't take into consideration how black girls navigate through education and spend more time in their class, making sure that their male counterparts are okay, making sure that everybody else is well-behaved. All of us have been there, you know, when the supply teacher comes and everybody wants to act up, but we're the ones trying to keep peace and we instantly get told that we're being loud, whereas we're only trying to do the job that the teacher clearly could not do. I think for me, resonating with a lot of these girls is touching me more than it should because this is the only space and platform that has given black girls a voice to talk about their experience in education. And for me, we should not have to create these spaces. These spaces should already exist. So I want to commend you, Muna, for doing this for us. We really appreciate you. So I started Milk and Honey, Milk Honey Bees, as it is called, in 2016. And I started it because a young man in Lewisham was killed. And his death resonated with me personally and professionally. And I saw my whole life flash before me. I saw girls who were as young as 13 mobilizing and organizing in their communities rather than healing. I saw girls wearing armor of protection rather than looking after themselves. And I said to myself, as 
a graduate, so I just graduated with a 2-1 in criminology after being told that I would be nothing. I had just gotten my first full-time job working in the Youth Offending Service after being told that I'd, I would be nothing. And I was guilty of doing what a lot of black women who go into professions like I do and stuck working with boys. After this young man was killed, it would have been wrong of me not to take the position to champion and advocate for the rights of black girls. I saw, like I said, girls as young as 13 doing things that I was doing. And so I read this book, Milk and Honey. And when I read it, I was like, this author, who does she think she is writing about my life? Who does she think she is writing about something that I can resonate with? And I really was angry. So I gave it to one of the young girls who was around the area that I was working in. And like a lot of the time, I didn't want to work with the girls. And she was pushing and pushing and pushing. And she read the book with me and said, I hope you're going to do something about it now. And I said, wow, what pressure you've put on me. But I did. I started Milk and Honey, which is an expressive safe space for young girls to put themselves first. And our ethos is allowing girls to flourish and put her first. And her stands for healing, empowerment, and resilience. And the reason being is because a lot of girls that I've supported, myself included, we don't get to heal. Whether it's our experience in education or our experience in the justice system and all the health and all the community, we don't get to heal. Empowerment, we don't have spaces where black girls can feel empowered to strive, where black girls can feel empowered to support each other. Because as we know, we can sit here and talk about education but also within our community, because of how they've put us against each other, it is very difficult for black girls to find a space where they can support their friends. But I'm glad that is changing. And resilience, because you know, black girls are the most resilient creatures on this earth. They are beautiful, they are eloquent, and they are creative. And that's why I started Milk and Honey. I'm just gonna talk to you about a few things. The reason why I use creative expression is because as I was doing the work, I realized that there was no services I could support or signpost young girls to. The mental health service is inadequate in supporting young people, especially young black girls in understanding their abilities and their mental health complications. There's an overprescribing of drugs or an underprescribing of drugs for the experience of young girls with mental health. And so I decided to go and do a therapeutic practitioner course. So I'm currently a therapeutic youth practitioner and I've done that to serve my community, but mainly the girls, so that they have someone that they can talk to, relate to, and really see, like I said, I've been through a lot, but I'm glad that I came through the other side and I'm now using that to support other girls. And so creativity, black girls are very creative. You saw Lorenda's silhouette and the fact that she spoke about art is why I use art as an expression for young black girls to be able to say and feel and eloquently deliver their messages in a way that they will not be silenced because the education system is not built to captivate is built to destroy the expressions of these black girls and so why not create a space where they can listen to their Beyonce's where they can listen to their Meg the Stallions and where they can act out and pretend and play like the beautiful creatures that they are because a lot of us have lost our childhood due to the education system adultifying us why schools the reason why I decided to reach out to Muna is because I myself, like I said, I work with young girls who come from schools. I get referrals from schools. And a lot of the time when I read the referral forms, it's always bad, angry, aggressive, dissociated, hard to reach, all of the language that teachers like to use to describe every other counterpart apart from white girls. When I get referrals from white girls, I get anxious, sad, family breakdown. And I always have to think, 
what about the black girls? And so for me, it's important that we change the education system. We decolonize the education system to take into consideration the fact that black girls exist, that the liberation of black girls is paramount in order for you to work with the black boys that you like to over-sexualize and fetishize about. Because if I typed into Google Scholar right now, how to work with a black boy or the educational exclusion rates of black boys, about over 2 million research projects would probably come out in the UK. I can't do the same for the black girls, but don't worry girls, I've got you. I will be doing this research for and with you. Trauma, one of the biggest aspects of trauma is the reason why I do this work. I myself was a traumatized black girl. I was a traumatized black girl because the community that I lived in was heightened by crime. Crime that is not our fault. Black on black crime does not exist because when white people commit crime, we do not use the term white on white crime. So we need to abolish this black on black crime. I grew up in a community that is full of violence because young people are not taught how to cultivate their emotions. They're not taught how to express because we would rather teach them how to use a protractor. I'm 27 and I've never used a protractor since I left school. In fact, I hardly brought my math set to school. So that should also tell you something about the education system. Our girls are unheard, unhealed and unseen. And we need more services to be able to support them and cultivate their expressions so that they are able to be seen, heard and healed. We do not have curriculum that supports, and like these lovely, beautiful, eloquent ladies have spoken about, there's no curriculum that supports and champions the roles of black girls. I recently did a quiz with the girls on Milk and Honey, and I showed a picture of Angela Davis, and two out of 10 girls knew who she was. That didn't break my heart because I knew why I put that picture in there. And it has now opened the conversation and the development of black girlhood curriculum that Milk and Honey will be creating and delivering virtually. So please do look out for that. What I can say for me is that running Milk and Honey, I created Milk and Honey and I called the girls bees. And I'm going to leave you with a message as to why I called the girls bees. I called the girls bees because bees are not supposed to fly. They're actually oddly shaped. So their bodies and their wings are not the same size, but they do not know that and they continue to fly anyways. And just like every single black woman that I know and every single black girl that I know and the ones that I'm going to come across in the future, you are eloquent and you fly like bees and you strive and you always come out of the other side. But it's time now for you to stop coming out of the other side and having to deal with things on your own. Believe me, you are heard and you are healed and you are seen. I just want to play something from one of my young girls, because I always feel like I can do all the talking about the work that I do, but it's more important to bring the voice of young people into the room. So I hope you can hear this. Being a young black girl in a British school was pretty tough, as I felt like I was always provoked and picked on not only by students, but staff. I was always seen as aggressive, defiant, rude, angry type. I'm pretty sure I can speak for most of us coloured kids as when I say this. It got to the point where me being in these sort of situations affected not only my um, status in school, but my education as well, as my grades did drop dramatically due to me either being excluded over silly, silly reasons or being put in isolation for very silly, silly, silly reasons. Um, it got to a point where I was always being, felt like I was being observed and watched and always judged 
by many stars as well. Like I said, I'm pretty sure I can speak for most of us when I say this. It wasn't only just the black boys in school being not tortured, but perverts as well, but us females too be treated very unfairly it got to the point where in many situations i was never heard my voice was never heard even when it was heard i felt like it was always overlooked as i felt like they didn't take me as serious or what i was saying as serious or they thought it would be a joke or i wasn't being as truthful as they wanted me to be in a way um which was very confusing because if they were to compliment me, they would really say I was very intelligent, but my voice would slow me down, as in me talking back would bring me down, like educational-wise. Um, it got to the point where I was transferred to another school. That school then introduced me to milk and honey, and I could honestly say it was for me to go was the best decision ever as it helped me not only physically but mentally and with school a lot i had Abby there she was basically my mentor to have one-to-ones with and she helped me be the shy hidden person to them being this most outspoken independent confident powerful young black girl and i'm proud to say i love the color of my skin i wouldn't change it for the world even i don't care how i'm looked as now i feel like i am the most confident person ever and i will continue being the most confident girl ever i'm not going to put myself in that position where i'm always seen as the problem ever again so yes um i just thought it would be important to bring her voice into the room because that is her experience For me, I'm going to leave you with this because it's very important to understand from an academic perspective, the reason why I do the work that I do, as well as the reason why I decided to go and train, get trained in loss, bereavement, mental health and therapeutic support. Defining freedom cannot amount to simply substituting it with an inclusion. Countering the criminalization of black girls requires fundamentally altering the relationship between black girls and the institutions of power that have worked very hard to subject them. That quote stood with me when I first read Monique Morris's book. It will continue to stay with me because my mission is to continue to amplify and ensure that black girls flourish and put her first. And like I said, prioritizing her is her healing, her empowerment and her resilience. Thank you and well done to every single young lady that spoke. Ebony, thank you so much. And each and every one of you, thank you for sharing your stories. They're incredibly powerful. There were times where I was holding back the tears as well. But I'm just so honoured and privileged that you've chosen this as a space to, to share your stories with us. Those of you that have attended today, thank you for engaging um, with us. And thank you for the contributions on, on Twitter as well. Just a huge thank you. This discussion was an opportunity to centre the voices of black women and girls in the education system, voices that are too often silenced and ignored. 
It's an opportunity for listeners to get a deeper understanding of the lived reality of what it means to be a black girl in the British education system. Too often when we talk about discrimination, we refer to categories such as gender and race as being separate. And this means we miss the unique positionality that black girls have to live and learn through. The stories that were shared in this discussion were both harrowing and inspirational in equal measure. Harrowing in that they demonstrated the reality of systemic racism, the ways in which young black girls at a young age are objectified and sexualized, the way in which young black girls are deemed to be a threat and angry and their emotions weaponized, the way in which the blackness of young black girls is made invisible and hypervisible within the school space. These stories are the reality of our young girls and they are inspirational in their resilience. They are inspirational in their resistance and they are inspirational in their strength. Please listen and reflect on the stories that were shared. Take this into account as we move towards dismantling the systems that are making our daughters, making our sisters, making our nieces vulnerable in these spaces. I'm your host, Dr. Mina Abdi, and you've been listening to Becoming an Anti-Racist, the podcast.